This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so pump the brakes on the Nylander talk here for a little bit, although Luke Fox will be stopping by at some point in hour two for more comments uh, on the new contract signed by Nylander, eight years, uh, 11.5 is the AAV. We turn our attention now to the Calgary Flames. And not to put too much on one game, but what the hell was that? First of all, gritty performance by Chicago, who had more money off the ice than on it. Uh, But a tough one for the Calgary Flames, who uh, limped back to Calgary after that game uh, on the wrong side of 500. Eric Francis, who has a really good piece about it on sportsnet.ca, joins me now. Eric, how are you, pal? I'm great, my man. Hey, listen, I I felt like I had to bring some Nylander content uh, so I'll open with that before I get into the play. Okay. You know, it is National Nylander Day. So uh, Michael Nylander, of course, played for the Flames for five years. And and, and that's yep. when William was born here in Calgary. So Calgary should take some credit for developing this great young hockey player. But the other thing that actually really was interesting to me throughout this whole process is Louis Gross represents mm-hmm. William Nylander. Louis Gross also yes. represented Johnny Gaudreau. And if you recall, yep. the absolute screw job that was uh, you know, thrown at Brad Trilling in the Calgary Flames by Louis Gross and Johnny Gaudreau at the eleventh hour. That's just that was an interesting backdrop to these negotiations. I remember yes. when Trilling went over to Toronto, I remember thinking, and hey, everybody's gonna have to have short memories and you can't hold a grudge in this business very long or you yeah. won't last long. But- I did think that was an interesting backdrop, and they ended up getting it done good on them. But, uh, you know, there was mm-hmm. thoughts in my mind that maybe that would be a lingering thought. Maybe that first conversation was a little uncomfortable. Like, you're not going to mess with me again, are you, Lewis? <laughs> well, let, let, let me ask you about that from, from, the, from the Calgary perspective, too. Because, listen, I think a lot of people looked at this and said, hang on, is Brad Living walking into Johnny Gaudreau 2.0 here? Expiring contract. Yeah. Yes, I want to stay. Yes, I want to stay. Yes, I want to stay. Oh, you know what? Eh, maybe I'm going to have a look here and, and see what's on the other side of the hill. Um, does that give you any more context, knowing that how... You know, Lewis Gross's other client here, William Nylander, has a number of clients, but one of his other key clients, William Nylander, was able to make this work where it didn't work with Johnny Gaudreau before. Not to keep throwing, you know, salt on an open wound here because the wound's probably closed by now, but do you have a further thought on it or does the Nylander contract now give you sort of more light on what happened with Gaudreau? I'm not sure the wound is closed for fans here in Calgary yet on that quite yet, but but no, I, yeah. I think... It's an interesting question, Jeff, because I do think that you've got a general manager who was in a similar situation with Gaudreau as well. He was having a career year in a contract yeah. year. Same with Nylander. He's having this incredible season. And I can't help but think that at some point, you know, Tree Living did realize, you know what, oh, I don't want to get to that number 11 and a half. You know, they, of course, they dragged their heels the whole time, didn't want to get there. Who, who does want to pay the top mm-hmm. dollar? But at the end of the day, if we drag this out any longer, this guy could continue to light it up, and I risk losing this guy at the end of the year for nothing. So I don't think it ever would have got to that mm-hmm. point. I mean, worst-case scenario, they would have had to trade him and make a deal that they weren't happy making. But I think that probably was yeah. probably a little bit in the back of Bradshaw Living's mind. This can't happen again. You know, it's, uh, okay, off the Nylander topic. I know there's a lot of people yeah. listening and watching that are like, oh, guys, will you move off the yeah. Nylander? Like, enough, enough of this, enough of this. So let, let me let me ask you about yesterday. And I don't want to put too much of an accent on one game 
But if things really come off the rails at a point here for the Calgary Flames and we'll look back on the season, I think it's a one game that I think a lot of fans and observers will point to and say, that was the moment. Like right now, if you're yeah. Calgary, it can go one of two ways. After you lose against the Chicago Blackhawks team that I think had about $13 million worth of forwards yesterday, and I think I might be being generous uh, with that number 13. Um, after the game, into today, what is the mood around the team? What is the mood around the Calgary Flames after dropping a real tough one? Those, those games you just have to have against Chicago yesterday. Well, that would have been a pretty quiet flight home last night after that game because it really is a case yeah. of history repeating history repeating itself. You know, I thought it was interesting. Don Maloney was on in the first intermission, and and he was asked about this matchup and was it a trap game? And he said, "Well, it shouldn't be a trap game because we lost all three games last year. The Chicago Blackhawks. There is zero doubt in any Calgarian's mind that the reason the Calgary Flames didn't make the playoffs last year were the Chicago Blackhawks." There was a crucial game with, I don't know, five or ten left in the season when the Flames were right there. Yeah. And remember, they only fell two short, two points short of the playoffs. They had a better record than Florida last year. And they didn't get in. And it was because they got swept by, you know, arguably the worst team in the league. Now, I think the Chicago Blackhawks are even worse this year because they don't have Bedard in no, the lineup. Bad. And they are missing nine other regulars, as you alluded to. And they still went into Chicago. And, and Chicago got three lucky goals on three lucky breaks, but Calgary got two lucky goals on two lucky breaks. So at the end of the day, they lost the game, and that just can't happen. I thought the coach said it best, and, and ba- Backlund said it as well. They gave us yeah. – they were in a position where we had to take advantage of them, and we didn't. And as Backlund said, if we think we're going to be a playoff team, we can't lose games like this. We can't do 500 road trips. You know, that's the other backdrop to this, mm. Jeff. This was a four-game road trip. Yeah. They opened the first two with wins in Minnesota and Nashville. They looked pretty good. And the team's been really trending well of late. Jacob Markstrom's playing great hockey. Um, and as a committee, this team is getting it done. And then all you've got are two afternoon games against Philly and Chicago. Teams that are, you know, I don't think anyone thinks they're juggernauts, uh, despite Philadelphia's shocking record. And, and and they lose in both those games. And and that's it's such a thud for this team. But it really is symbolic of where this team has been for, well, I'll often say for 30 years, right in the middle, right in the beige. You know, this team is 500 again, right where they always seem to be. And that's why everyone in this city, and I think management too, are on the precipice. They're ready for a significant retool moving forward. And I think losses like yesterday just reemphasize that that's the way to go. I was going to say, you know, like every game is a, a little bit more information for Craig Conroy when it comes down to to making yeah. decisions on, you know, the direction that he wants to make with this team. And you never want to make decisions when you're emotional. I can imagine that Conroy, after watching that game last night, would have been livid. Uh, you don't want to make decisions when your blood pressure is elevated. But nonetheless, like that's like another bit of information, another piece of the puzzle here as as Conroy decides what's he, what he wants to do with the team this season. What does he want to do with, with the team? I mean, you mentioned like, I mean, Sam Kinison would always say it best. If you're going to miss heaven, don't miss it by two inches. If you're going to miss, really miss. There's a reward both ways. There is no reward uh, for where you talk about being right in the middle or, or right in the beige. There's no reward there whatsoever. So which way do you think Conroy is leaning now? 
Oh, I think he's leaning the same way he's always le- been leaning, which is, okay, yeah, this, this season's important. He's, no one's given up on this season. They're right there in the race, and we're, we're at the 40-game mark for the Flames, and still a lot of hockey to be played, and they're, what, three or four points out. It's going to be a tough race, no question, especially when you subtract some significant players. So I, I don't think there's any question Elias Lindholm is, is gone. I mean, there's the guy who's going to land you the most amount of assets, probably a first-rounder, probably a top prospect, and probably a serviceable player to start in the lineup right away for the Flames. I think that would be the minimum ask for him. Um, I think Chris Tanev is mm-hmm. as good as gone at 34. As great a mentor as he is and as solid a defender as he is, his market value is huge, especially given how many teams are interested in him. He's the ultimate playoff warrior. He's as good as gone. You know, I think Dan Vladar is probably on the way out too. They have to at some point as they start to retool significantly. They finally have to open up a spot for Dustin Wolf, who's maybe the top prospect in hockey, period. Or, you know, certainly as goaltenders go. So those three are, I think, are, are on the top, you know, right at the top of the list of guys that are being shopped around. And then the Noah Hannafin thing. I wrote last week that I, I think that they should resign him. And I, I do think they will resign him. I had heard the same whispers that Elliot was talking about on Saturday that uh, they've yeah. revisited the possibility of bringing him in. And, he, and I think the rationale is simple. Listen, he's 26 years of age. He's a number three defenseman. On a lot of teams, he'd be a number two. He's a brilliant skater. So even yeah. if you sign him to eight years, that's only to age 34. If you trade him for a first rounder and a top prospect, you're crossing your fingers and hoping that either one of those two assets are going to one day be half as good as Noah Hannafin. So why take the risk? and backtrack five years when you can keep that guy and he can stay in his prime for the next five, six years, be a Calgary Flame. And the other thing, Jeff, is in this chilly outpost we call Calgary, it's not easy to have guys <laughs> say they want to come back. He wants to play here. When guys say that to you, you mm-hmm. have to really seriously consider their wishes, and I think that they're going to get that deal done. Let me ask you about Jonathan Huberto, and he's been a hot-button topic since day one. Uh, yeah. it's been good the last few games to watch him, you know, uh, start to turn his season around. I mean, he almost went, as you know, oh for December, uh, managed to get an assist on that. And then that game on the, on the 31st, uh, Mark Savard, you know, changed his tape job and he was wearing, using yeah. black tape. And I see he's gone back now to the white, uh, and yesterday's game against uh, the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, listen, players do strange things when they're in major slumps, whether it's change your tape or change, you know, I draft less uh, draft or uh, dress left side to right side. Now I'm going to go right side to left side. Players do that, and Huberto, I'm sure, has tried just about everything. Your thoughts on what you're seeing now from Jonathan Huberto? Well, last five games have been better. There's no question about it. Last five games have been a whole lot better, but I think he's got points in four of his last five. He had a couple of assists yesterday. Would have had three, actually, if one goal wasn't disallowed for goalie interference. So he... But we've been down this market before where he does seem like he's trending in the right direction. All I can say is right now, of late, he's been a lot better. So the the Huberto watch is on every single game. Like when they're on the road, I do something called Flames Takeaways. And I pretty much always include what did Jonathan Huberto do? Because, you know, as the same reason why you're asking the question, like he really is the most important piece in this organization. And it's been quite, quite well documented that it hasn't, worked out anywhere close to what he or anybody wanted. So the fact that he's taking baby steps right now, he seems to be on on a line that fits him a little better right now. Uh, The players are slotted better on the Calgary Flames because of it. So 
All we can say is things seem to be better. Um, I'm not sure we're ever going to see Jonathan Huberto. Like, we can't fathom in Calgary that this guy at one point got 115 points in a season. Like, it's just it's, – it's unimaginable given what we've seen here in Calgary. I think last year he had 55 points. This year I think he's trending for fewer yeah. than that. Um, but, you know, all I can say is he's been getting better of late, and, and that's all anyone in this city can hope for. You know, with the Florida Panthers, he had, you know, that 115-point year, he had a lot of speed around him uh, to help create ice for him. Like, he had a, a, a real uh, – Anthony DeClaire was, you know, so fantastic uh, for Jonathan Huberto, pushing defense back with his speed, opening up ice for Huberto uh, to do what he can. Uh, that's not there for the Calgary Flames. But I think you're right. Like, I don't know how how often you have to keep chasing it, but you have to keep doubling down to make this Johnny Gaudreau, or this Johnny Gaudreau, this Jonathan Huberto situation work. Um, and I think that speaks to your point about rebuilds as well. They can't do the scorched earth rebuild, even if they want to. I mean, the presence exactly. of the Huberto contract, the Nazem Kadri contract, and I'll tell you what, Eric, that might be the smarter thing to do. Because you look at teams that do the scorched earth rebuild, A, it takes a long time, B, you create a culture of losing at the same time. So I, I get that fans might want to tear it all down and build it back up. I don't know. I mean, history has shown that that's not always the same thing to do. We'll end with a comment from you on that one. You nailed it. And I've been saying this for years. Listen, I speak to ownership. These guys are not interested in a scorched earth rebuild. You'll hardly ever hear me say the word rebuild. Um, only because it's not appropriate here. It, I use the word retool every single time. Uh, Don Maloney joked in the mm-hmm. summer, he said rebuild, and then he stopped himself. He said, oh, wait, I'm not allowed to say those words in this city. Uh, you know, it's not going <laughs> to happen. Plus, plus, you nailed it. You, you can't do it. With contracts like Huberdo's and to a lesser extent, Cadre's, uh, you can't do it. So, and, and also, I think, as businessmen, it's hard to think that you're going to take a team that is right there in the playoff race every single year. And I know that hurts you for your draft pick, but you're right there. You're creating excitement. And some years you're in, some years you're out. But at the end of the day, you're right there. It's hard to just say, let's just wreck all that and start anew. Because I know the ownership group points to Buffalo. They point to the Oilers. And I know the Oilers are a lot better team now. But for a lot of years, it constantly looked like they were in oh, rebuild yeah. and tear it down. And, 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 and other organizations, for every Chicago Blackhawk or Colorado Avalanche that tear right down, get a great draft pick and win the cup five, six years later, there are three or four teams mm-hmm. per that, that are still struggling and stranded in the woods. So that's not happening. Those players I mentioned are certainly on the blocks. They can affect significant change. And then the last piece of this, Jeff, is don't forget, they have one of the best AHL teams in, in, you know, in, the, in the minors, and they've been drawing they from do. it heavily. They've had eight guys called up this year, and almost all of them have proven they're probably everyday NHLers to varying degrees, including Connor Zeri, who's now on their first power play. So they, they, their mantra was, we're going to get younger. They've done it. Craig Connery's done a great job at sticking with that. And with these trades that they're going to make in the next couple months, they're going to get even younger still. And I think there's a lot of people in the city who are so excited to let the younger players play and see what they've got. So far, oh, that's yeah. certainly the message in this city. Specifically, Connor Zary. Uh, this team looks like so different when yeah. Zary's not in the lineup. Um, up against it, Eric. Always full value. Thanks, pal. You're the best. We'll uh, we'll catch up soon. Happy Neilander Day.
<laughs> there he is. Uh, Eric Francis from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca on Nylander Day. And with that, we'll bring in Matt Marchese uh, to to coin Eric Francis's phrase there. Matty, happy Nylander Day. Yeah, happy Nylander Day to you. It's finally over, Jeff. Uh, is it, though? Is it ever really over? No, I mean, true. we're going to be talking about this for a while, and what does this mean for Marner, and what does this mean for Tavares, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Anyhow, uh, Luke Fox coming up at some point in hour two. We'll see when we get comments from Brad Treliving and William Nylander himself. Time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Maddie, what do you have your eyes on today? We have four games on the go around the NHL, including... On Sportsnet tonight, the Rangers facing off against the Vancouver Canucks. But what do you want to talk about? I thought about the Battle of the Keystone State, and I was like, ah, no, I think there's a better one on the board. Bruins <laughs> Bruins at Avalanche, to me, is very intriguing. Uh, puck line yeah. is abs minus one and a half. Colorado is seven and one in their last eight at home, and Boston is five and one against the puck line in their last six games. The Ray Bork Bowl. How about that? There we go. We I like it. it. Uh, that one, even though uh, Ray Ray Bork's no longer <laughs> no longer in the NHL, it hasn't been for uh, for quite some time. Uh, Boston keeps on rolling along, and I can't help but thinking. I mean, they went all in last year. I mean, they had a great regular season, one for the ages, folks, and uh, they have the record depending on how you feel. Uh, but how the NHL keeps points now versus when they did in the 70s. Uh, anyhow, they had a remarkable season on the last last year, and they still went all in at the end, whether it was Orloff, whether it was Hathaway, etc., Tyler Bertuzzi. I wonder about the Avalanche this year. And I'll tell you what, Maddie, I wonder about the Avalanche now in one specific way. We know they're looking for another top six player. I also wonder if they're going to be in the goaltending market. Mm-hmm. You know, we've heard Jared Bednar talking about needing a save, etc. You know, you look at that game against the Florida Panthers on the weekend. That was a game that showed the avalanche that maybe, just maybe, it's time to get a goalie. And I know that rumors will always circulate around Sam Gerrard. I wonder about Josh Manson. I really, really do. We'll see what happens there. This should be a good one. Some at the beginning of the season would say cup preview. Boston Bruins and the Colorado Avalanche, or as we call it around here, the Bork Bowl. Colby Armstrong from Rogers Monday Night Hockey coming up in a couple of moments. We'll talk about the Rangers and the Vancouver Canucks, and Colbs is good. We'll go everywhere with him. Aaron Ambrose still to come from PWHL Montreal, and Luke Fox on Nylander Day. Keep it here. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, so welcome to Hour 2. Thanks for being aboard today. Um, A couple of things here. We're going to have to be a little bit fluid here in the second hour, Maddie. Uh, because there will be a Brad Treliving slash William Nylander scrum session at uh, Scotiabank Arena. Uh, So we will get to that as soon as we can. Scheduled to join this hour, uh, Colby Armstrong from Rogers Monday Night Hockey tonight. Don't forget, 7 o'clock Eastern. It's the Vancouver Canucks facing off against the New York Rangers. That should be a really good game. There's a bunch of good games, actually, uh, tonight. Um, Maddie, you mentioned Colorado and Boston a couple of seconds ago. Keystone State game as well between the Flyers and the Pittsburgh Penguins. So we'll talk to Colby coming up uh, in a little bit. Luke Fox, who covers the Maple Leafs for Sportsnet.ca. Luke will be aboard. And again, crossing my fingers that we have Aaron Ambrose from PWHL 
Montreal. Coming up on the program, that team one and one uh, took one from Ottawa in their home opener. Uh, dropped a tough one to Minnesota in front of thirteen thousand people over the weekend. Uh, Three nothing the final there. They don't have their own home opener in Montreal uh, until the thirteenth. Uh, it's an afternoon game. They'll face off against Hillary Knight and Boston. So we'll look to get Ambrose on if it doesn't happen today. Uh, we'll get her on probably tomorrow, I would imagine, as well. In the meantime, uh, it is Nylander Day. It's uh, $11.5 million. It is eight years. Uh, the total value of the contract, $92 million, as some have pointed out already. Hey, that just so happens to be the numbers father war. So, Maddie, as much as we were speculating that this contract may be the William Nylander number of 88 uh, Dad said, no, son, my number seems a little bit sweeter here. Let's shoot for 92. Uh, yeah, I was thinking that. And I wonder if he's paying uh, homage to his father who basically <laughs> paid for him to get, you know, all the, the skill training and do all that stuff. It's like, here, Dad, this one's for you. Um, it is, uh, this yeah. is, Jeff, as, uh, as someone who's produced many a radio show, and uh, this is producer yeah. nightmare day. Anytime that this kind of stuff breaks, you're like, oh, great. Oh, of course. It's just, it's just, it's okay. you know, you're flying by the seat of your pants. It's fine. But, That's why we get paid the big bucks. But, he, but yeah, well, but, but here's where, like, we live in the, I, I still firmly believe, I'm going to go off a little tangent here. I still firmly believe we live in the golden age of audio. And that includes both podcasts and radio. Mm-hmm. And in a situation like this, this is where radio beats podcasts. Mm-hmm. And you know how much of a longtime podcast guy uh, I've been and always will be. It's in these live moments uh, where things are happening, events are happening, uh, information is coming at you right away. That's where you turn to radio. That's where it has podcasts beat. Now, with podcasts, you can essentially take your time with things, be as thorough as you want. You're not married to a clock. You don't have to get to certain stop sets at certain times. You just turn the microphone on, you start talking, and then you stop. But in moments like this, this is really where you realize that radio in some corners for some events is still very much king. And then a lot of it just gets repurposed for podcasts nonetheless afterwards. Uh, yeah, I would totally agree with that. And this is also where um, people can say really stupid things because they have to react in the moment. And we've all been there. We've all said some stupid things <laughs> on the air. Whereas a podcast, you can go, hold on. Yeah. I said that. Edit that out, please. I don't want that in there. Uh, here? No, 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 no. We oh, can't really do that. We didn't... Elliot and I never do that. <laughs> we never go back and sweeten everything. No, oh, we never sweeten the sound or change anything editorially. Before yeah. we release it. No, we never do things like that. No. Um, okay, so we're, we're standing by for the Bradtree Living uh, William Melander Media Scrum. Uh, what did you think of all this? Not, not necessarily the contract itself, but just the sort of entire saga. Like, we understand that all Maple Leaf contracts, uh, and I guess this is true in, in other markets, certainly, but when it comes to the Maple Leafs, the top dogs always get the biggest media scrutiny. Um, what do you, What did you make of this entire saga, which is more than just like the last couple of weeks? Uh, it's been a number of months now with William Nylander and the contract. And every time, I always enjoyed the fact that every time Nylander was asked about it, he had like this Voltarian smile, this almost like smirk. Mm-hmm. Um, like he wasn't annoyed. He almost thought it was like, this is a game and I'm going to win this game. Yep. But I'm not going to tell you what the score is right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny because I thought a lot of the, the commentary coming out of it after it was done, just with everything, was every, so many people are like, oh, 
well, they could have got this deal done in the summer and he would have signed for nine and a half or ten and, and you wouldn't have been in this no. situation. And I'm like, no. If if they no. wanted if he wanted to sign that deal in the summer, he would have signed the deal in the summer. And William Nylander went into it and said, This is the number that I want, and his play dictated that it got to that number for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That's what happened. I don't think nine and a half or ten or ten and a half was ever a number that was on the table from William Nylander. This is a guy who says, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to score 40 goals, and he's on pace for like 120 points. He's going to go out, he's going to have a great year, contract year, and he bet on himself, and it paid off. And let's also not forget that William Nylander played on a under a pretty, pretty team-friendly contract the way it worked out for years before this. He's not taking a discount to stay here. He wants to stay here, but there's a number at which he wants to stay here. And so, like, for all the Leaf fans that get up in arms about it, it's like this is the number that he was going to sign for. He's one of the best wingers in the NHL. And not only offensively, but he's certainly improved defensively too when you look at some of the metrics, the advanced metrics. So I, I just, I, I have no problem with it. And I, I good on William Elander mm-hmm. because he's been, he gets the brunt of a lot of criticism that other players may not get. And when you talk about the playoff success or lack thereof, William Nylander has been their best forward in the last four playoffs. That's to me, not even yeah. a question overall. And the seasons that he's put up, like I said, he's going to score over 40 goals this year and he can do that for a while. Mm-hmm. He's still young at 27. You know, uh, the playoff, uh, the playoff production uh, point is very well made. Um, and that is true. He's been consistently the Maple Leafs top forward in the playoffs. Now a lot of, People may point at that and say, well, that's one of the problems with the Toronto Maple Leafs. How come that's Bar's not low. Austin Matthews? <laughs> and that's not Mitch Marner. I get it. And you, you only get an audit usually of, of one series. Uh, and then the Maple Leafs are out, although they, they did manage to win one last year against Tampa and then bowed out against the uh, the eventual Stanley Cup finalist, Florida Panthers. Um, I, I find intriguing here now, I mean, because now this next conversation is going to get a ton of scrutiny and a ton of attention. And that is... What happens on July 1st with Mitch Marner? Mm-hmm. And the Maple Leafs are eligible to sign him to a contract extension on the 1st. He still has one more year left of term. Um, and July 1st is the day that the Maple Leafs can say, okay, here's what we have. Here's what we're thinking. And the Neyland, or the uh, the Marner camp can respond. Like, I, I, I still do wonder, you know, what if the Marner camp goes in and says, okay, if that's Nylander's number, I want 13 then what's the decision? Like, I I think that, you know, to Elliot's point in the first hour, and I think it's the right one, it sounds very much like, and people are moving sort of in the belief that John Tavares still wants to stay with the Maple Leafs. After this year, he has one more year left on his contract. Um, He wants to stay, I would imagine. The Maple Leafs want to keep him, but not at that number anymore. So expect that one to come down. But again, what if... Mitch Marner and his camp say 13 is our number. <laughs> what happens then? I, I don't see 13 in Mitch Marner's future, if I'm being quite honest, Jeff. Like, I, I just, I don't see that happening. And here's the one thing that we know with as it pertains to Brad Treliving. He, I, or we, we believe. I don't believe that he is tied to this group like the previous regime was. I think Brad Treliving is going to make a deal not based on emotion because he drafted this guy or extended this guy. He's going to make it based on how does this affect my team? How does this affect my cap situation? And can I make this work? I think I, in an ideal world, you want to keep Mitch Marner around. 
But it's also, we talk about this in sports in general. Like, when you sign the deal, Jeff, timing is right for William Nylander right now. It may not be for Mitch Marner next year. You know, the interesting thing about that idea of um, not being tied uh, to any of these players, you could also make the argument that Kyle Dubas was the same way. Even though he was there, he wasn't making those decisions. You know, uh, Morgan Riley was a Brian Burke pick. Austin Matthews was a Lou Lamarillo pick. Um, Mitch Marner was a Mark Hunter pick. William Nylander was the first pick that uh, the Maple Leafs made under Brendan Shanahan. So uh, you're you're bang on about Brad Treliving. I mean, you know his 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 pick with Toronto Maple Leafs, Easton Cowan, and even then, we all understand you know the sort of handcuffs that he was under from uh, from the Calgary Flames at that point. So you're right. I don't think that he's emotionally tied to any of these players because he didn't select any of them. Although you can make the same argument for Kyle Dubas. These are even though he was there for you know Matthews and and there for Marner. Uh, he wasn't there for Nylander, and he wasn't there. Oh no, he was there for. He had just been. No, he had just been hired. Sorry, he had just been hired as an assistant general manager. That was the Philadelphia draft in two fourteen. So he had just been hired as an assistant, but that was Brendan Shanahan's first draft with the uh, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I remember the the, the Nylander draft was interesting because the feeling now that it's all coming back to me. So at that time. The feeling from Brendan Shanahan, I believe, was that Maple Leaf scouts and Maple Leaf decision makers going into the draft had always been very conservative, too conservative. And it was too much of just get a player who can play in the NHL. Someone who's guaranteed, doesn't matter how good they were, um, as long as they played in the NHL, the feeling was, okay, I did my job, my guy got to the NHL. And Shanahan came in. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Maddie. Didn't Shanahan come in and say, you know what? We got to take some swings for the fences. Like if we're going to be great here, we need to look at some players and say, this person has the potential for greatness, even though we're not seeing it right now. That's where we have to swing. And the first example of that was William Nylander. Yeah. Uh, Memory serves. I, I remember that. And, you know, the thing about you're talking about the you know, having the connection with the players and, and not being as long as Brad Treliving doesn't say we can and we will, then I don't because I think that was part of the emotional attachment with Kyle Dubas was he put himself out there that we can win with this group. So he almost had to double down with them and triple down with them. Whereas Brad Treliving and yeah. he comes in and doesn't have to do that. And that's why I think like if there's a deal out there for Mitch Marner next off season or this coming off season, mm-hmm. then maybe he makes it because he doesn't have that attachment. We, we talked that nauseam about how this team doesn't have, you know, that elite defenseman. Well, maybe moving someone like that can help you get to that point and get that player. So I, I'd be very curious to see what happens. I mean, the rest of this season is going to be interesting how the Leafs go forward. But I think your your point about Mitch Marner and being able to sign an extension on July 1st, I think this, uh, this coming off season holds a ton of intrigue because the John Tavares one is lingering too. Like, John Tavares is going to need to take at least a $5 million pay cut to stick around. Uh, Some would say more than that. Um, To the Dubas point about we can and we will, um, that was with, that was 
in regards to signing all their top guys. Mm-hmm. Like Tavares had already been locked out. This was about re-signing Matthews and Nylander uh, and, and Mitch Marner as well. So that's what that comment was all about. And you know what? May quibble about uh, the contracts themselves and how it locked the Maple Leafs into those players for a long time and what the cost was and what couldn't they do because they were locked in. I know that Brian Burke would always make the point about how um, how Dubas had to like beat one of them up uh, to get the hometown discount. And you know what? Actually, on that point, really quickly, um, for William Nylander's contract, like this is not a discount. No. You know, for as much talk out there, like no, I'm not saying that he uh, that he's getting more money than he deserves, but let's not pretend that this was a discount. The discount was the last contract. Sure. This one, if you and Dom Lassition, um did some excellent uh, quick work this morning online about where the value of this contract is over based on projections and based on the cap going up by a significant percent each year. Um, this is right at where William Nylander is compensated if production continues at a certain level based on averages and the salary cap continues to rise. Yeah, this is one that you look at and you say, for Nylander, that is a fair deal. Mm-hmm. The player's not getting too much. The team's not getting too much. Yeah. I, I think that's a very fair assessment. And the the only thing where people... Here's what I will always come back to. If William Nylander's on the open market, we saw what Artemi Panarin got in free agency. What's William Nylander can get a massive ticket in free agency. The difference is he's going to get one less year. But he was going to get that much money yeah. on the open market. So I to to quibble about, you know, 200k here, 500k here, a million here, he was going to get it. So if you're a Leaf fan, you either want the player or you don't want the player. That's what it comes down to. And I would like William Nylander on my team if I'm a team. That's for sure, especially with what I've seen this yeah. year and in playoffs in years past. I don't think William Nylander is part of the problem here. I think he's part of the solution. Okay, so we're standing by for this Brad for Living William Nylander uh, press scrum coming up, uh, we think, shortly at Scotiabank Arena. Uh, what else stood out for you uh, on the weekend? Oh, I know. here uh, The Connor Bedard situation yeah, and the broken bit. jaw and the hit from Brendan Smith and uh, the comments by Luke Richardson. So, you know, I was, um, uh, I was having a conversation with someone from another team this morning when I was out walking my dog. And they were. This person said to me how surprised they were that Luke Richardson came out and you know he's he's done this before. Whether it was uh, the 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 reason the the example they cited was a Jacob Truba hit on Andreas Athanasiu, and he said, "Why is Luke Richardson always coming out and saying, nah, that's fine, nah, that's good, yeah, no problem.'" Like, you don't have to come out and say, you know, it's bloody murder and the sky is falling, but why does Richardson come out right away and say, yeah, that hits no problem. We're all good. That well, f- like, he's he's not wrong. No. He's not wrong, but there's no type of gamesmanship whatsoever from Luke Richardson. It's just, this is the fact. That hit was fine. Our guys need to keep their heads up. Well, that was the type of player that Luke Richardson was, wasn't he? That's fine. 100%. The, like, he, there was no yeah. gamesmanship with Luke Richardson. You saw... You got. That's basically it. You want to go into that corner? Good luck getting out of there unscathed. And that's how he coaches. I like the honesty because if I'm coaching the Chicago Blackhawks right now, yeah, a lot of exercise and wine probably would be part of the cure here. 
right? With all that, the injuries mm-hmm. and all the background noise and everything that goes on, along with it. Now your star rookie is going to be out for, you know, four to six weeks or whatever it is with a, a, a broken. When I saw that hit, Jeff, I was like, I felt, felt kind of innocuous. I was like, oh, okay. Didn't see what was wrong with it. And then you're like, oh, guy's got a broken jaw. Well, yeah, that hurts. Yeah, it's, um, I'll, I'll tell you what. Stepping over the blue line in the NHL is always dangerous. Yeah. Did, I ever, did I tell you a story that I, the conversation that I had with Adam Oates a few years ago about stepping over the blue line? No, I don't think so. Okay, this is one of my favorite stories to tell. And this lets you know just how Adam Oates sees things. Like, I think that Adam Oates is one of the most brilliant people in hockey. I know there's a lot of coaches out there that don't like him mm-hmm. coaching their players, especially during the season. It it's working, been, though. I know there's been friction there. I, there's been friction there before. I get it, but I think that Adam Oates is one of the most brilliant hockey minds I've, I've ever uh, I've ever seen or spoken to. Um, so this is a few years ago, and I was driving, and we were talking about a Rangers game, and I can't remember who it was, but someone stepped over the blue line, like just like a, a regular zone entry, and out of nowhere just got crumbled as soon as they stepped over the blue line. And we're t- I, was, I brought it up with, uh, with Oates, and he said, well, you saw what happened there didn't you? And I'm like, well, no, I don't see the game like you do. Adam, what did you see? He said, pull over. And I pulled over and I got my phone. He goes, go back to the hit. So I'm watching this over and over again. I'm like, Adam, I don't see it. Like, what is it? And he says, okay, what happens when he steps over the blue line? I said, Adam, I don't know. He just steps over the blue line. He gets (laughs) rocked. He says, he goes, how many hands does he have on his stick when he, when he crosses the blue line? I go, geez, I don't know. So I go back and I watch again. I go one. He goes, that's right. He said, when did he put his hand, the second hand on the uh, on his stick? And I went back and watched it again. He goes, once he got inside the blue line, obviously it was 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 not even a full stride, and he put his hand on his stick. He goes, that's right. And he said, now what did he do when he put his hand on his stick? <laughs> I said, Jeez. I don't know. I go back and I watch it again. He blinked. And I watch it, and there's the there's an ever so brief head check. He looks down for a split second as he, and it's a natural reaction. Yeah. Split second, puts his head down as he grabs his stick. He goes, that's where he, that, that's where he went wrong. He said, it's a natural instinct and players do it all the time. He said, when they put their hand on the stick, they're conditioned to look down. He goes, we do concussion proofing drills and a lot of them are really boring and here's one that I have our guys do, and they hate it. Now, imagine this, Maddie. Adam Oates works with Mark Shifley, works with Jack Eichel. Like, he works with, like, elite, elite players at the highest level of the NHL. He says, the guys hate it, but you know what I have them do? They stand there with one hand on their stick, and they practice putting their bottom hand on the <laughs> stick with their head up. I'm like, you do this with your... He goes, they hate it. They hate it. They hate it. But he says, I'm trying to make the game safer for them. Sure. It's good for them. Like, would you rather go through this boring drill or would you rather have a concussion? This is try- I'm trying to concussion proof your game. He says he sees so many players. And now I can't stop watching for it. When a player grabs the stick with a bottom hand, that quick little head check. But that's like, that's the level that, that, that Adam Oates thinks at. And I got to go back and watch the Bedard zone entry but i wouldn't be surprised if as he puts his bottom hand on the stick if indeed he is only skating with one hand if he puts his head down ever so slightly because didn't that seem weird 
the yeah. hits. Yeah. Like he just sort of ran, ran into, into Brad. Like yeah. I know there's traffic. I know I know there's traffic. There's traffic. But straight but on. Did it not ran seem bizarre him. that he just sort of ran right into Brad? Yeah. This is a really smart player. Yeah. Who does it? Who's just very ran good at, right into He's very, he's very good at avoiding contact with the way he moves. Like, yeah, that was very shocking to me. Probably the most shocking. Jeff, I've now figured out why I didn't make it because I put my head down to look at my stick too many times. <laughs> Has to be why. <laughs> I, I have told to so my many life. coaches that story. That's what that's what you needed to do. Just honestly, you can do it at home. Do it with your kids. A lot of people, that, you know, parents that have kids that play hockey. It's a really, really boring drill I've started to do with my kids. And Maddie, they hate it. Oh, Dad, stop. I'm like, look, one of my kids is, is, is old enough to, to, to do body checking right now. My youngest is still a couple of years away. Um, but I do it. Like, okay, so we're, we're doing the bottom hand drill here. And you're just practicing grabbing your stick and keeping your head up at the same time. And just that tiny little look down. It's a natural. Think about it, Maddie. How many times have you grabbed your, your head, stick and you've just natural instinct? Yeah. You've looked down at the stick. 100%. Anyhow. My daughter uh, just got her first stick, so i got to start teaching her. Keep her. How old is she now? Uh, just over one. <laughs> got to get started oh, it's, soon. It's time. I'm oh, teaching her to shoot right-handed. Left-hand shot or right-hand? Uh, that's right. Oh, add 10% to the contract. Right-hand shot. Let's go. Yeah. Um, so that was one of the, the, the main stories coming out of the weekend. And I guess now that opens up the uh, the Calder Trophy race as well. Yeah, it sure you does. Know, it gives your guy Brock Faber a chance. Back, Brock Faber. Everyone in Minnesota is like, Faber, Faber. I'm like, I'm with you. And 30 minutes a night. Yeah, (laughs) it's pretty good. Well, and Spurgeon's back on the shelf too. So he's going to get, he's going to get more ice time than he probably bargained for in his rookie season. (laughs) There are so many great young defensemen right now. Like last week I was going on more about Alex Vlasic and I'll keep doing it with Chicago. I know everyone loves Kevin Korczynski and they should. Like Chicago's got, like they've really leaned into the rebuild and, you know, uh, the person I was talking to this morning said, like, it's it's shameful what Chicago is doing. Like, just like, just completely leaning into this rebuild here, uh, the way they're doing it with, like, you know, the, the best prospect to come along in 10 years. Uh, but nonetheless, there's some really good prospects coming for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, and I love, love this Alex Vlasic kid, six foot six, 210 pounds, can defend, which is the big thing. You look at the last few Stanley Cup winners, whether it's Vegas, whether it's Colorado, whether it's Tampa, whether it's St. Louis, all those teams can defend and have large defensemen. I know it doesn't get you on the cover uh, of NHL video games, but still, those are the ones that win, you win championships with. I think that Vlasic kid is great. Um, but it does open it up. And I know a lot of people in Minnesota are going to make some noise now more than ever about Brock Faber because with Bedard out, the field opens, Maddie. Yeah, it certainly does. Uh, by the way, here's a conspiracy theory for you. They're really leaning into this rebuild to get Macklin Celebrini. So Connor Bedard doesn't actually have a broken jaw. He's just got to go move his car uh, back home yeah. near Vancouver. Um, takes him a long time to walk there. No, the 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 Calder Trophy race, I thought it was going to be a lot more. I mean, Bedard, again, like I told you so many times, he's, he even exceeded my expectations, and, I, and my expectations were fairly high. I looked at a guy like I thought Adam Fantilli was going to have a really good offensive season with some of the offensive players in Columbus. He looks great. He does. He looks he looks awesome, Matty. He some, looks great. But sometimes it's about who is playing around you, and it doesn't matter how good you are sometimes. We know that a lot of the time that award is about offensive numbers that get put up. And Bedard was just so far and away ahead of guys. But, I mean, it does open the door for a guy like Adam Fantilli for sure. Uh, I'm not even going to tell you where he's from. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. 
Shout out Nobleton, Ontario's finest, Adam Fantilli. He pushes me down yeah. the list further and further every time he steps on the ice, Jeff. The last time the Stanley Cup visited Nobleton was when? Uh, oh, I don't remember what year it was, but I know it was Nick Boynton that was there. I actually played with his, uh, I was with his there. younger brother, with his younger brother, Julian. I played hockey with him growing up. So uh, we, go, we go way back. 2010. July 2010. Jeff, that was 14 uh, years ago. Think about that. It's crazy to think that that was that long. Somebody said, do you know 2019 was four years ago? And I went, pardon me? Excuse me? I don't don't think, sorry, 2019 was five years ago, not four years ago. Yeah. Don't you do it in sort of like the the, the way that that teams have won the Stanley Cup? Like you say 2019 or right away you just flash to St. Louis? I do the, that guy. I know what I do is like, oh yeah, I was in high school then. I'm like, no, it wasn't because I was in high school like 17 years ago, and that was a long time ago. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, high school was yesterday. What are not you talking gonna, about? <laughs> nope, no, it wasn't. I'm not gonna tell you how long it was when I was in high school. Holy smokes! No, we're of different vintages. Um, uh, a little bit, yeah. Uh, hey, ACI, what about Mark Andre Fleury? Institute. Let's go. Dude, wasn't that great? So good. I'm serious, man. I, I, I really hope that this isn't it for Marc-Andre Fleury. Yeah, me too. I, I think we're all on the same page about this. Oh, the, the point that I was making on the uh, on the podcast, I'll throw it to you this way. Okay, so he ties Patrick Waugh's record mm-hmm. for, I shouldn't say record, for second place. Marty Berdour has the record. No one, and I mean no one, is touching Marty Berdour. No one is touching that one. I'm sorry. Goalies don't last that long anymore. No. Um, but... So you go back to 2003, okay? Patrick Waugh's last game in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Colorado Avalanche, it's the playoffs. Colorado Avalanche facing off against the Minnesota Wild. Yep. Do you recall who scored the last goal against Patrick Waugh? I sure do. I remember watching the game. It was Andrew Burnett. Okay. Andrew Burnett, who's now the coach of the Nashville Predators. And then on Saturday... Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury ties Patrick Waugh for wins, second of all time. He could break that tonight as the Minnesota Wild are at home against the Dallas Stars. Uh, how much do you think Patrick Waugh hates the Minnesota Wild? Yeah, he's probably not a big fan of theirs. Like, if the coach, <laughs> if the coaching vacancy may, may, you know, if it ever came up again, he'd be like, I'll take the job, and I'm going to run yeah. this franchise into the ground for what they've done to me. Um, yeah, no, he's probably not what a huge fan. I, I remember I remember watching, because that was an overtime winner, if I'm not mistaken, by Andrew Burnett. Yeah, absolutely it yeah, was. And, I mean, yeah, no, that's when, that was that's when Minnesota went on their outstanding outstanding yet boring run like that was the epitome of like dead puck hockey yeah was like, it anaheim, bless there anaheim too? they yeah. got there new jersey yeah anaheim went to the final again and that's when they had like uh keith carney and ruslan soleil who were this incredible combination in front of js jaguar just blocking everything yeah uh in front of them paul korea on that team obviously steve ruchin on that and team they were seven well. eight seeds right uh, some minnesota and, and anaheim they were two bottom seeds in the yeah and Ana- yeah and Anaheim knocked off the Red Wings. Yep. I remember that. And everybody went, what? Yeah, hold did, on a that second. Was just ridic- Steve ridiculous Thomas was a duck, point. if I'm not mistaken, at that point. Yes, he was. Dumpy was on that team. Totally was on that squad. Yeah. Anyway, that was the epitome of dead puck hockey. Yeah, it was. Like that was. We look back on it now. Oh, Jesus. Games are like if 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 you're used to hockey right now, I dare you. To go back and watch hockey in 2003. <laughs> oh. Watch all that hooking and holding. Oh, man. The slashing. Oh, and my yeah. goodness. People think they have it tough today. It was. <laughs> it's 
tough. It was a tough watch. Oh. But yeah, Marc-Andre Fleury, so he, he ties Patrick Waugh on the weekend. But I don't know. What was the better save for you? The one where he dives coming back from trying to get, to get off the extra attacker to, to stop Justin Danforth? Or the one that I think, which is the one-timer by Igor Chinnikov. And Chinnikov, by the way, we should point out, has a outstanding one-timer. Oh, he sure he does. hammers the puck. Yeah. Which one? Which one to you was was the better save? I mean, the Danforth one was spectacular. Well, and then it was what happened? Yeah. just a dive. And then what happened afterwards is why it's so good, right? Because it keeps Minnesota yeah. in the game for that split second. They go down, they score, and then they win it in overtime. I mean, that to me was pretty. I don't know though. A goalie going across crease to make a glove save like that. There's something spectacular about that, especially in which the velocity is coming at the net. Like, as a, as a regular human being, you yeah. watch that and go, wow, that's really cool. And if you ever tried to do that, you would rip every muscle in your lower body <laughs> and the puck would probably go right through your hand. Yeah. Like, you're, you're not equipped to make that save. So, uh, to me, I think yeah. the Chinnikov one was pretty special. But, um, yeah, for him to come back into the net, make that diving save, it goes back down the other way. <laughs> like, that's a storybook type of, of game, right, for, but for here's Minnesota. But the, here's the problem, though. The save on Chinnikov is skill. Yeah. The save on Danforth is just desperation. Yard sale. <laughs> just dive. Just belly flop into trying to trying to make a save. Yeah, whatever uh, I can get. Okay, here's what I think we should here here's what I think we should do. Because we're standing by for this uh Brad Living William Nylander uh press scrum at uh, Scotiabank Arena. Here's what we should do. Let's uh let's hit a break. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna sort of pump the brakes as we have here on the the rest of the program and hope that while we're in the stop sets, the presser doesn't start. How about that? Let's roll the dice. Should Let's we do, do it? it. Let's do it. Uh, keep it here. Uh, you're either going to hear me and Maddie in a couple of moments, or you're going to hear from Brad and Willie. Take your pick. Uh, coming up next, Merrick Show continues. Sportsnet Radio Network, Sportsnet 360, where you get your podcast is where you hear this show. Back in a moment. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. And, of course, I jinxed it. So let's get right to Scotiabank Arena right now. Press scrum, William Nylander, Brad Treliving. I don't know. I, I just told him, like, look, no, just tell me if there's anything, like, big. I don't remember. I mean, like, I don't need to know another daily talks, what they talk about. But, um, yeah, every once in a while I get an update. Did what you- will you treat yourself to? Um, nothing, nothing yet. I mean, nothing changes for me. <laughs> we'll do one last one. You're going to be 36 when this contract is up. Do you ever think about retiring as a Leaf? Um, well, that was uh, one of the things, like, you're thinking about going through the process eight years. Um, want to achieve something special here, and at that point, I mean, that would be a ultimate uh, dream. Thanks, Billy. Thank you, Billy. Okay, so that is a very brief snippet of William Nylander uh, speaking at Scotiabank Arena. Uh, when Brad Treliving uh, gets up there, we'll, uh, we'll present Brad, uh, who put the pen to the contract. Brad Treliving, by the way, just as an aside, 
Um, Brad Treleving's done enormous contracts. Brad Treleving has done, well, most recently before this one, it was Austin Matthews. And then when you think of the deals he did with the uh, with the Calgary Flames, whether it's Jonathan Huberto or Nazem Kadri or uh, Mackenzie Weger, um, this is someone who isn't shy about the large deals. Um, so uh, Brad Treleving becomes available. We will uh, bring him to you, um, but that is William Nylander. And, and a quick sort of interesting point there at the end uh, where he's asked about retiring. He'll be 36 years old when the contract is up. Um, and him saying, you know, it's something that he had considered and thought about and wanted to do something special in Toronto, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, make no mistake about it. Like this is, this is the life changing contract. This is the one where you set your family up forever. This is the one that you look back on and, you know, this is, this is the one that, you know, a lot of players dream about. Like every player when they get to the NHL, like there's a lot of check, there's a lot of, a lot of boxes that players check sort of along the way. Um, getting drafted into the NHL, first pro contract, first uh, pro game, first NHL game, first NHL point, uh, first NHL fight. If you're a goalie, first NHL win. Um, things like this along the way. Award, winter classic. Um, all these sort of, you know, uh, benchmarks that you want in your career as well. Um, oh, just getting a note as well. Uh, Brad Trilliving signing Kachuk uh, as well before uh, shuttling him off to the Florida Panthers in that deal as well. So very good uh, before he sent him. Thank you for uh, Mr. Anonymous for sending that one uh, along from Calgary. Appreciate that. Um, the, uh, the other thing about William Nylander is uh, and Elliot and I talked about this in, in the open of the program, uniquely qualified from a mental point of view to handle Toronto. Um, some players have wilted, many players have wilted, many coaches have wilted, many managers have wilted as well. Oh, before I finish that point, or after I finish, I'll finish that point in a second. Here's Brad Treliving, general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs. I said it. When I first got here, there's some there's some really good players. They're hard to they're hard to get, they're hard to keep, and uh, when you got them, you try to keep on to them so, or hold on to them. So uh, I think it's a good day for us, um, a real good day for us to get them signed. We're excited to get them signed. Um, top player in what I believe just entering the prime of his career. So we're excited. It's a good day for us. From your perspective, Brad. From your perspective, what uh, turned things to, to get this to me to get across the line? Well, I don't know if anything turned it, Chris. It's a process to go through. Um, you know, I think when you have the starting point of a player that wants to be here and a team that wants to keep them, usually you can find, you can you can get it done. Um, listen, it's a big contract. It's a lot of money. And uh, um, so you go through that process. But I don't I don't know if there was ever an aha moment. We, we were... You know, you you arm wrestle, um, you go through it, um, but I don't think there was ever a time where we felt we weren't going to get to the finish line. You know, because of what I said, the player ultimately wanted to be here. We wanted the player, so we find a way. Were you close in the summer, or uh, the speculation was the price was a little bit cheaper in the summer? Uh, can you talk more through the process of how you got there? Yeah, I'm. I wouldn't go. I'm not going to go right through it Kevin uh, I wouldn't say the price was any cheaper in the summer so this idea that all of a sudden the price you know we 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 got to a we got to a point where um, everybody felt 
um, you know, felt to get a deal done. And I think it's like any deal, you're probably always a little, you know, we, we always want a little less. They always, the player always wants a little more. We find a, a way to get a deal done. And um, like I said, I, 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 at the end of the day, we've got a really good player here that's um, going to be here for, for eight more years. So that's, that's we're happy about it. Was there a official uh, signing ceremony? And if so, was there some levity when he put pen to paper? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it, you got to give it to Willie. He doesn't, he doesn't get too excited about anything. I <laughs> said if I was that age and that kind of money, I'd be, I might have slept here last night. But uh, <laughs> no, we, we, had, we, had, we had a good little time this morning. But, you know, but, but also serious about, about talking about, like to me, Willie, <clears throat> you, you guys have all seen him live, you know, and up close. For a long time, I this is the you know I've seen him for a long time, but this is really, you know I've worked with him now for six months or what it is, and my message to him is this: this you're not getting paid, you, you don't need to change anything, but you know that old line: to whom much is given, much is expected, and and to to me he's he can take another step in his leadership, and when you see Willie competing and and dug in and and you know playing a 200 foot game, our like a, like our top guys do, our, the rest of the team follows, and so that was my message to him: is we don't need him to be anything different. We just, you know, he continues to mature as a player, um, and when he's at his best, there's very few better than him in the league. How, how much pressure was there on management side to get Excuse this? Me? How much pressure on on your side to get this done before trade deadline, just to avoid the risk of possibly walking out the door? Yeah, Luke. I don't know if pressure. I mean, there's always pressure to get these. <clears throat> you know, there's it's it's the job. But you 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 just you keep going through the process. I know it sounds boring, but um, you know, we wanted to get the player signed. The player wanted to get signed. So you 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 know, you just keep working away at it, and and uh, you know, take some step forward some days. Some days you take step backs, but you just you stay committed to it, and and ultimately you get. Uh, you get something you can, everybody can do. That's not taking anything away from what just happened and your work on it. There's some of your heavier that can come now in the next two months with the trade deadline on March 8th and some things might want to do. But yeah, Terry, I think it's, you're always, you're always, you're always evaluating the team. I think, you know, I'm encouraged. I think we've, I think we've taken some steps here lately. I think we've gotten, um, you know, we've gotten healthier on the blue line. And there's one thing of getting healthy and then they're, you know, it's like, Timothy comes in. He's been in for a little bit, but it takes him a little time to get up to speed. Um, you know, but I also think you got to be careful on trade deadline. Like we'll continue to watch our team, but I, I'm not a big believer that you know you you, you remake your team, right? You got to be careful with that. Um, you know, there's tweaks that you'd like to do, sure. You know, we've got X amount of assets that we we you know we don't necessarily want to be throwing out the door, so. Certainly, we continue to watch our team. We continue to see if there's ways that we can help it, um, and we'll continue that up to up to the deadline. Yeah, but I think guys next that year, are... Brad, uh, you know, obviously, you'll have four players in double digits AV-wise, and, and what's the cap is going up, luckily. But what's the challenge in navigating around that? Certainly, that's there's always challenges, right, um, Pierre? And I think. All we can do is we could only tackle these things one at a time, right, when they came up. So I got here and, and you know, Austin was the priority. Um, you know, Austin and Willie were both going into their final years. Um, we're able to get those done and now you now you, you see what's next on the list, right? And, and 
but you know you're gonna have you're gonna you're gonna have a cap that increases but we're also not blind to the fact that there's other areas of our team as we move forward that you have to <clears throat> have to improve and we'll continue to do that so I don't have any bold statements or proclamations to make today other than we got a really good player signed uh, now we move on to the next you know next piece we've got other guys who are free agents July 1st any chance any of them you'll move on before the trade deadline uh, we'll see. I mean, I, we'll get today's piece of business sort of, uh, done with, and you're always looking at it. I mean, there, there's we, we've got a lot of guys pending free agents. To Pierre's question, or question, you got to, you know, there's guys that we certainly would like to to look at extending. You have to balance that with where the cap's going to be at and what they f may want in terms of a, an extension. So those things we'll continue to monitor and, and, and see if there's any other business, but. Um, you know, we've been pretty much focused on this file here for the last little bit. How would you describe the emotions, Brad? How would you describe the emotions for you on a personal level on a day like this? Well, it's always a good day when you get a good player signed. Like I said, you're always grinding, right? You want to, you, you always, you're, 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 you're grinding through the process. But um, like I said, I, I know, I know how hard it is to get talent. And, and at the end of the day, every contract, you know, every dollar matters because, we live in a cap world, um, so you folks can all debate it, and, and I'm sure it will be hotly debated. But at the end of the day, when you can get a top player signed, it's a good day. What's the latest on Ilya? Yes. Sorry. Ilya's uh, had a good week. Um, you know, we had a plan in place for him until we got back. He he had another session here today. We're gonna we're gonna huddle here. Um, later this afternoon to sort of map out the next piece of that but it's been really good his on ice and off ice work has been good um we kind of we kind of mapped it out through to today and then we'll see and 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 i don't know if i have an update but we'll we'll have a plan here for you know the next few days here later this afternoon but so far so good thanks Okay, there you go. There's uh, Toronto Maple Leafs General Manager Brad Treliving commenting on the William Nylander contract. Uh, it is eight years. Uh, it is $92 million, which brings with it an AAV of $11.5 million. Matt Marchese and uh, Treliving there is saying, you know, you start with the premise that obviously the player wants to stay and you work from there. Um, a, a couple of takeaways from what Tree Living said, um, and we talked about this with Elliot in the first hour, the idea that somehow this contract would have been cheaper if it were signed in the offseason. Um, I'm sure the Maple Leafs in the offseason had a different number in mind, uh, but that was nowhere where William Nylander and his camp, which is Louis Gross and his father Michael Nylander as well, uh, wanted to go. They had their number. It was probably a little bit more than 11.5, but it doesn't sound at all as if that camp was going to get off of being anywhere close and in and around uh, $11.5 million. And let's face it, in a situation like this, um, I mean, how many times have you heard general managers like Yarmo and say it? You know, the CBA sometimes gives the manager the power, and sometimes the CBA gives the player the power. And in this situation, because William Nylander was on an expiring contract, he had a lot of the power in these negotiations. And the fact that he went out there 
and proved or showed that he deserves the $11.5 million, you know, only made it more inevitable that that's what the ultimate price tag was going to be. But the idea that it was somehow going to be cheaper if they signed this thing in August, not so coming from the general manager. <laughs> Jeff, Brad Living is human, like the rest of us, who always like a good deal. I'd like to I'd like to buy a new brand new 65 inch TV for $300. That's a you know whatever brand. That's great, but that's not the world that we live in. So, yeah, of course Brad Living would have loved to have get that gotten that number down, but your point is a good one too. Like, yeah. Don't think that William Nylander's number wasn't higher than what they fell at. Like they, he probably asked for like, oh, I probably should get twelve, sure. and we're like, and the, uh, you know, and and the the Leaf camp is like, well, we'll probably give you eleven and a half. How does that sound? Okay, fine. We met in the middle somewhere, but I, yeah, the fact, the idea that there was like some summer, uh, uh, the end of August sale, like, oh, everything must go, everything is half off with William yeah. Nylander's contract. That was never happening. It doesn't doesn't happen in negotiations. It's just, you know, the, this idea that that was a possibility is a flawed one. So I, I do love Brad Living and, and the honesty, because that's one thing that you can't fault Brad Living for. He is honest. And I don't want to say honest to a fault, but he's honest. And he told he told everybody what they needed to hear. Like, this deal was not cheaper in the summer. It is what it is. And, you know, yeah. to, it, I I wonder about the timing of it in that, like, did William Nylander's play get him to that number? And the Leafs are just like, all right, we're just going to give you this. This is what we got. And this is the best that we can do. Are you willing to sign here for eight years? Like, I wonder how much that played yeah. into it. Cause he's I, been incredible. Let, let's not forget too. There is one dynamic here that we need to keep in mind. And I know that all situations are different. Eric Francis mentioned this in the first hour. Uh, and that is, this is the same agent, Louis Gross, um, as Brad had negotiated with previously with Johnny Gaudreau. Mm-hmm. Um, again, the situation was different, and if you're going to succeed in any environment, really, not just exclusive to hockey or exclusive to sports, you need to have a short memory and let things go. Um, but having said that, I think that in a situation like this, both sides test each other. Sure. You know, this wasn't just, you know, Lewis Gross. This was Michael Nylander as well. And if you know anything about Michael Nylander and his career, uh, he had a strong understanding and belief of his position in the game and how much he should be compensated. Um, and and you can't blame him uh, at all uh, for saying this is the value that I believe that I have. And if you're not going to offer it to me, I'm going to find it somewhere else. And I think that both sides probably tested each other out. How much would this side bend? How much would that side bend? Uh, Who wasn't coming off their number? And again, again, I'll come back to it. This is a situation where the player had the hammer because the player could walk away at the end of all of it. I I thought the question about trade deadline was an interesting one as well. And I think it was Luke that asked that one, Luke Fox from sportsnet.ca. Was there added pressure to get this deal done before a trade deadline? Because as trade deadline approaches, you look at the expiring contracts and you say to yourself, holy smokes, can can they really let this player go for nothing. Now, just as a quick aside, I've only got 60 seconds here. As a quick aside, and we'll get more into this probably on tomorrow's program, uh, I don't believe that when you let a player walk and don't get anything in return, you're not letting the player go for nothing. You are still getting something, and that is one of the most valuable things in a salary cap universe, and that is salary cap space. Mm-hmm. Good point. Um, 
So that was Nylander Day, Maddie. Uh, thanks for being a big part of it. Uh, the coverage continues across the Sportsnet radio network and certainly at our uh, flagship in Toronto, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Uh, apologies to Colby Armstrong and Aaron Ambrose and Luke Fox. We'll endeavor to get them all on in the next couple of days. Thanks to Eric Francis, Elliot Friedman. You just heard from Matt Marchese as well. David Sis, Lance Kennedy, and Jen Rolnick. We'll get to sort of normal programming tomorrow here on the show. In the meantime, hope you enjoyed Nylander Day. Back in 22 hours. Hey, Rogers Monday Night Hockey, Vancouver Rangers should be a good one. Check it out.